Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I need From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money radio show. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me this week, senior analyst Jason Moser and Ron Gross. Good to see you as always, gentlemen. Hey, hey. I'm doing great. It's spring Good. break, and we are coming to you from South Beach. Woo-hoo. There you go. Okay, not really, not. but we are taking advantage of I'm spring too break for South Beach <laughs> to bring you our springtime special. And if you're new to the show, that means we're going to be leaning heavily into the theme of spring cleaning. So, Ron Gross, let me start with you. When you think about all the things you do around the yard. Trimming those hedges. Uh, we've had a bunch of stocks that have really done well over the past 12 months in particular. What is a high flyer that you think investors should consider maybe trimming? Have we not met? Do you think I'm trimming hedges? <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you had asked me a month ago the same question, I would have had an embarrassment of riches to choose from. But many of those high flyers have already pulled back 15 to 20 percent. The NASDAQ, which is home to many of these companies, is off about 8% from its recent high. So, what I did is I went old school. I went to the retail industry to a company we talked about just last week, Five Below. Shares are up 180% over the last year and up 240% from the March 2019 lows. It's now an $11 billion company. Recent quarterly results were good. Got to give them credit for putting up strong numbers. But this is a discount retailer. This is not a tech company. So we've got growth of 10%, 12%, not 50%. And they're launching a new growth engine, a new store prototype called Five Beyond, uh, which will sell somewhat more expensive merchandise. That's a pretty crowded field already. Doesn't excite me. Uh, so I, I think the reason you got to trim this one is because the valuation has just gotten away from reality. 48 times forward earnings. 27 times EBITDA. The dollar stores, they only sell around 20 times. Costco, perhaps one of the finest businesses in this general space, only gets a 34 multiple. At 48 times forward earnings, I think you got to trim five below. Makes sense to me. Jason Moser, what about you? If five beyond, wow, I wasn't even. I mean, I knew they were they were digging into that space, but that's that's yeah. fascinating. Um, yeah, so I I I I'm gonna go with TripAdvisor here. Now I I don't own TripAdvisor anymore. I sold those shares a while back. That was just one of those weeds that I pulled from my portfolio. I think it could be argued that TripAdvisor was a bad business before all of this uh, pandemic stuff hit. I don't think it really is any any better of a business now than it was then. It's still very much a company playing defense right now. The market today, though, it's giving it a valuation, Ron, like they just signed Tom Brady or something. I'm not quite. I'm not quite. I don't. I don't quite understand. I mean, it's up better than 200 percent over the last year. 37% over the last three years, but it's actually down 10% over the last five. It seems like the longer you go, the worse it gets. Um, and nothing really fundamentally has changed with the business. I mean, travel obviously is massive. We love it. Um, it's a market you want exposure to. And as, as a consumer, I find TripAdvisor to be a very valuable and helpful tool. I mean, when we travel, I use it often. Uh, they've just not really been able to, to make that translate into a, a great business. I mean, the most recently recent quarterly results uh, in, included guidance, and they're and they're ultimately calling for for quarter one revenue and, and adjusted EBITDA to be roughly in line with with this past fourth quarter. So it doesn't look like things are getting any better anytime soon. And they also they've introduced this TripAdvisor Plus subscription service. 
I like where that's coming from. To me, though, it really feels late to the game. I, I'm, I have a hard time seeing it, it having a tremendous impact because so many users of TripAdvisor services have been trained to get it for free. <laughs> and if you can't get it from TripAdvisor for free, there are a lot of other places you can. Uh, so, to me, hey, it's been a great run-up. If you own this name, you want to at least take some off the table because I don't know that anything really has fundamentally changed with the business. Spring cleaning isn't spring cleaning unless you're actually throwing things away. So, Ron, what is a <clears throat> stock investors should consider just throwing out altogether? I've got to do it, Chris, and tell you that a $13 billion market cap, you got to throw out GameStop. You just have to. It's probably the most famous of the meme stocks. Uh, share price is artificially high, largely thanks to the online Reddit community. At the height of this folly, the stock traded at $483 per share. It now sits at about $185. I'll remind listeners that pre-COVID, the shares traded for $5 or maybe $6 on a good day. The company has had 12 straight quarters of declining sales. Now, there's a possibility that this company survives. The Chewy founder and, and some other folks have kind of taken control of this company, joined the board, trying to recreate it, transform it into the Amazon of gaming. So, there is a chance that they remain a viable company, but you can't pay $13 billion for this company. That absolutely makes no sense. Would you acquire this company for $13 billion? I certainly hope you wouldn't. So, therefore, you shouldn't be buying the stock at that price either. I think you got to throw this one out. Jason, what are you throwing out? Yeah, I was kind of back and forth on on which one I would trim and which one I would sell. Maybe I got these wrong, but I think I got them right. I, I and this this probably going to rub a few people the wrong way, but I, I'd sell Stitch Fix, and it's not a company that I own, um, but it, it, it's 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 a business that as time goes on, it's just it becomes apparent to me that it's not one that I want to own. Um, it, you remember we we just a couple of quarters ago, I mean they had the massive short squeeze after that earnings release that really popped shares. Um, it, you could just do a little digging into the release and see. That the results weren't as good as the credit the market was giving it, um, but 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 due to that high short interest, the numbers uh, just were the numbers. Um, I, I was I was I would just say I was a little bit disappointed. Management so quickly revising those growth estimates, right? I mean that short squeeze was due to those growth estimates of around twenty to twenty five percent. The very next quarter, they throttled back those estimates. Right now, they're calling for maybe eighteen twenty percent growth uh, on the top line there. And uh, in, in, it doesn't look like client count is growing as quickly as it really should be for a business like this. In the most recent quarter, they grew client uh, client count twelve percent. A year ago, in the same quarter, that was seventeen percent. So growth is slowing down. I don't know that they're able to keep those clients on for the long haul. Uh, long haul, and, and they talked about um, the challenges that they're facing in the business. Part of it is. Longer cycle times, and that's not all their fault. I mean, this is carrier and client delays. A lot of it has been COVID-related, no doubt. Um, but but then also, secondly, and this is similar to what TripAdvisor is doing here. Uh, Stitch Fix has this direct buy feature, and it's not new. It's been out for a couple of years now in some form, and in just sort of a perpetual beta status. It's something that allows existing clients to purchase items directly from Stitch Fix. Doesn't seem like it's that difficult to figure out, but they still haven't really nailed it. It's still basically in beta, and it's still they're kind of dragging it out. So it kind of leads me to believe that maybe this is a company that's limited in its optionality. Uh, you pay a lot to acquire these customers. You really need to keep them. It doesn't really seem like they're doing that good of a job of keeping them. And, and the bottom line for me is just 
fashion is really hard. It's just really, really difficult. I have a hard time figuring out what to put on in the morning, Chris. And I know that Stitch Fix is geared towards helping us helping us fix that. Uh, it, it just doesn't really seem like uh, it, it's one where I'd feel good about owning shares for for long long periods of time. So I think there's just better ideas out there. All right, let's go to the other end of the spectrum, Ron. And in the spirit of Marie Kondo, what is a stock that sparks joy in you? For me, it's, it's got to be Disney for me. First, come on, it's a house of mouse, right? You've got some of the best, most fun entertainment properties in the world. You got Mickey, sure, but you've got Iron Man and Star Wars and Toy Story, ESPN and ABC, and of course, the amusement parks and the hotels. Two, it's a sentimental favorite for me. It's the first stock I bought for both of my kids uh, almost 20 years ago, um, and we still own it to this day. Three, the company is transforming itself with Disney Plus streaming. The growth has been phenomenal, really impressive there. And finally, COVID took a big whack out of Disney when the parks closed, but the stock has recovered. I think it now represents a wonderful reopen play as the parks come online and people get back out into the world. So I like me some Disney. Can't argue with that. What about you, Jason? Yes, sir. Uh, this one was easy. First name that came to mind, Wayfair. Um, this is a company that has just done tremendously uh, over the last several years. Year to date, the stock is up around 50% uh, over the past year. Uh, it's, it's only up 640%. So, you know, just, just sort of middle of the road. Uh, for the last five years, up 740%. So it's been a nice stretch for Wayfair. And, and I understand. When the company was just getting its its uh, its feet on the ground, the skepticism and moving furniture from point A to point B being a very expensive proposition, but these guys have really uh, proven themselves to to have figured something out. And I think the the beauty of it really is in the business model, being a network as opposed to just a an online furniture store. I think that's the key there. Um, I, I enjoy it as a customer. I enjoy it as a shareholder, and and I think one of the main reasons. Uh, I, I enjoy this as a shareholder is is well it's it's really two when you look at the results I mean over the over the most recent quarter total uh, net revenue grew 45 percent year over year gross margin of 29 percent was up from 22.9 percent a year ago number of active customers reached 31.2 million. At the end of December 2020, that was up 53.7 percent, and and then kind of back to that Stitch uh, Stitch Fix challenge. Wayfair is really good at keeping those customers, and and we use this metric: repeat customers placed 72.5 percent of total orders delivered in the quarter, compared to 68.6 percent the the previous year. And so Wayfair does a really good of acquiring the customers and then keeping them and bringing us back to buy more stuff. And I and I can tell you that our house. There's a lot of a lot of repeat Wayfair purchases from our house, but but perhaps the most joyous of all here is is my share ownership of Wayfair is going to help me finance this massive deck renovation at my house here, Chris. <laughs> awesome. This is not going to be a small project. In 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 the gains that I have witnessed in my my share ownership of Wayfair uh, will help finance those. And so knowing that I'm going to look out at this deck for years to come, and it'll be a Trex deck, by the way, folks. Yes, don't <laughs> don't make any mistake there. That will spark joy on a daily basis, particularly as hey, listen, this summer it sounds like maybe I'm going to be doing. A little work on that deck, uh, you know, working from home on that deck, and that'll be that'll be nice to enjoy the sunny weather. After 17 years underground, billions of cicadas will emerge next month across the eastern United States. What does this have to do with investing? Stay tuned to find out. This isn't Bloomberg. This is Motley Fool Money.
As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here with Jason Moser and Ron Gross. It's our springtime special. And of course, Ron, springtime is all about rebirth and renewal. So, what is a stock or industry that you believe is poised for a comeback? I like industrials right here. We've already seen a rotation out of some of the high-flying tech stocks into industrials, but I think this trend still has legs, especially if Biden and Congress can pass a meaningful infrastructure plan. It won't be the $3 trillion plan Biden is talking about, but it still could be significant. So, industrial companies like Caterpillar and Nucor, United Rentals, Vulcan Materials, I think should continue to do well as we hopefully begin to rebuild our roads and bridges. Renewable energy companies in the space like Nextera Energy should also do well. So keep an eye on industrials for at least the next couple of years. Jason, what about you? Yeah, you know, it's it's been a bit of a period of stagnation, I guess, for for a lot of of uh, companies in the semiconductor space, and um, I mean that's for for understandable reasons. I mean, we've seen a lot of saturation there on the handset side of things, but but as five uh, G really starts to become more of a thing, and we're going to start seeing that roll out here over the next several years, uh, technology is just playing a much larger role in our lives than ever before, and that's not going to change. I mean, we saw all sorts of drivers uh, in the tech space from five G to things like immersive technology or Internet of Things, uh, the automobile, and other tremendous opportunities. So I think the semiconductor space is really poised uh, for, for several years of productivity here. Um, obviously, the supply uh, chain issues right now, the, the chip shortage is, is what's making headlines. There are plenty of reasons for that, a lot of it regarding the, the big demand for electronics and just sort of changing business models, outsourcing production. I mean, that Intel news recently, uh, I think, is kind of fascinating. Trade conflicts. A lot of this stuff uh, all kind of came together at once to really, to really uh, create sort of the snag in, in the uh, supply chain uh, there. But I think the next several years with companies like Qualcomm and Corvo, and I, I think my my sleeper here, Marvell Technology, a lot of companies out there that have been investing for this for this specific period of time, and I think they are coiled springs getting ready to pop. All right, it was two thousand four <laughs> the last time we saw the cicadas. Oh yeah, and if I'm doing my math correctly. It'll be the last time we see them until 2038. So, with that in mind, Ron, what is a stock that you would be willing to buy and hold until 2038? I love this question. Uh, for me, it's got to be in the gene therapy space. Uh, so, I'll go with Editas, a clinical stage biotechnology company that's focused on the CRISPR Cas9 gene editing technology. That technology can remove, add, or alter individual genes or sections of the DNA sequence, which one day could lead to a cure for a wide range of diseases. Um, that currently focuses uh, focused on diseases of the eye, blood diseases like sickle cell disease, and cancer. Even if things go really well, Editas won't be profitable for a while. So let's keep an eye on the balance sheet. Four hundred million on there right now, so we're good for a while. Earlier in 2021, all of these stocks went on a wild ride. Editas popped to $100 per share. Now it's floated back down to earth around $40 per share. Um, so these are volatile. I always caution everybody: maybe take a basket approach, like I have, if you want to invest in this sector. But I think Editas looks good for 17 more years. Jason, what about you? 
Yeah, putting this in the context of where am I going to be in 17 years makes this seem like a little bit more of a daunting task. So <laughs> I, I, I just instead I'm looking at this through my through my daughter's eyes, and so they're going to be around 33 years oldish uh, when when 17 years pass, and and I could see them still owning this stock and a stock that I own as well, Etsy. Uh, much like Wayfair, I think Etsy has built a tremendous network. It has a ton of potential, uh, and, and, and to me. And my and my daughter's service serve is, is sort of the, the eyes for me here. I mean, younger generations of shoppers care about this stuff: local, small, unique, sustainable. Uh, those are the types of things that Etsy is really enabling in this two-sided network that really creates not only a terrific marketplace for buyers, but also a great place for sellers. I mean, there are a lot of small business implications thanks to uh, Etsy's network. And if you look at the numbers, I mean, they have sellers of 4.36 million now, buyers of 81.365. Five million mobile. They're making tremendous progress on that front as well. Um, and, and then you look at things like Etsy ads and Etsy payments. I think this is going to be a marketplace that's going to be relevant for many, many years to come. So I'm looking forward to hanging on to these shares. All right, Ron. We got just over a minute left. One actual cleaning tip. Let's move away from the stocks. Let's get to the actual cleaning. What do you got? To clean a barbecue grill, get your grill nice and hot, cut an onion in half, put it on the end of your grilling fork, and rub it all over the grill grate. The onion's juices will release and produce steam, and the enzymes from the onion will help break down the oil and the grease on the grates. Wow. Yeah, there you go. I'm excited to try that. All right. Mr. Moser, what do you got? <laughs> Is that Ron Gross or Bill Nye the science guy? <laughs> uh, okay, two quick things. Hey, listen. Folks, get a cleaning crew every once in a while. I know it's not cheap, but spoil yourself. You do that a few times a year. It's just really nice. So uh, you know, save up a little money and spoil yourself. Um, and then uh, on, on, a, on a more daily or weekly note, get one of those Swiffer dusters with mm. the refills. Those are just really handy. And if you're working from home, you've got a few minutes here and there to run a duster around. And here's the tip. Dust the tops of the picture frames in your house. Then subtly note it to your spouse or significant other. It it goes a long way, I promise. Go to the closet. I know it's been a rough year for all of us in terms of our clothing, but just weed out some of those <laughs> shirts that you haven't worn since 2019. It's got yeah. time to go. All right, guys, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Thank guys. You. Up next, a conversation with best-selling author and personal finance expert, Gene Chatsky. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. Few people have dug into the topic of personal finance as deeply as Jean Chatsky. She's a best-selling author several times over, and for more than 20 years, she was the financial editor for the Today Show. She's the CEO of HerMoney.com, and recently, she talked with Megan Brinsfield, director of the advisory team at Motley Fool Wealth Management, about her latest book, Women With Money, The Judgment-Free Guide to Creating the Joyful, Less Stressed, Purposeful, and Yes, Rich Life You Deserve. When we talk about the conversation of women and money, a lot of times we're focusing on the negative aspects of that, or I would say challenges in planning for 
women's longevity, for example, or addressing gender pay gap. And we definitely want to cover those topics. But I would love to start with some of the ways you see women gaining momentum in terms of financial literacy and stability. I know there are a few ways that you mentioned uh, in your recent book, and I would love to start with that as a background. Uh, for sure. And, and heading into the pandemic, we were making progress full steam ahead. Um, there is no denying the fact that the pandemic has set us back a bit and, and we can get into that. But if you look at the educational trends, they are um, in women's favor. 132 women graduated from college um, in, in, compared to 100 men on average over the past couple of years. Um, women are fast forwarding when it comes to getting graduate degrees, those graduate degrees and those college degrees are going to drive increased earnings and increased power for women. Um, when you look at the amount of money in the hands of women, it's been growing too. About 45% of the millionaires in this country are already women. And we, uh, we know there's a big intergenerational transfer of wealth that will happen over the next couple of decades. Women are um, expected to inherit the lion's share of that because we will inherit twice. We'll inherit both from our parents, but also from our husbands that we will outlive that women's longevity uh, issue that you alluded to. So um, there are a lot of things working in our favor. And I know you mentioned some of the setbacks that we've seen during the pandemic. Let's let's not pull any punches here. Let's talk about those as well, because they are pretty severe. And I know just on your website recently, there were uh, statistics about how long it's going to take for women to recover from some of these setbacks. Yeah, uh, this has really put us back about 20 years. Um, and, and it's because when a woman takes a step back from the workforce, um, it, she doesn't get back in at the same level. Typically she, it takes her seven years to get back to that level when she re-enters the workforce. And because of two factors, actually three factors that the, um, majority of the jobs lost during this pandemic have been jobs lost by women. Um, it, in part, it's because of the industries that have been impacted, um, restaurants, travel, hospitality, retail. Um, in part, it's because of caregiving responsibilities. Women still um, have the lion's share of those caregiving responsibilities in their households. But it's also because if you are in um, a two-income family and somebody has to take a step back to keep the ship running on the right course at home, you're going to look at your financial resources. You're going to say, all right, how are we going to um, prosper best as a family? And if the woman is the lower wage earner, which she still is most of the time, the woman's going to be the one to step out. And those caregiving responsibilities really do take a toll over the course of a woman's lifetime. I was looking at some data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics that points out that over someone's working career, if you compare uh, male earnings to female earnings and account for those uh, breaks in the workforce, 
that actually is a cumulative roughly a million dollars in difference in earning power over the course of your working career. And that's because of child rearing, caregiving for a parent and caregiving for a spouse, uh, which is quite significant. So what are um, some of the ways that you've seen women taking steps to make up for that? So I think it's important to um, approach your financial life uh, with a plan to capitalize on all the opportunities that you have to um, both gain seniority, but also to sock away money for your future. Um, we know that uh, because of trends in longevity and because of the gender wage gap, by the time a woman gets to retirement, um, she has substantially less in her retirement accounts than, than a man typically does um, or does on average. And then she needs to make that money last uh, a good five years longer. Uh, and so it, it's part of a planning process of getting started early, making sure that you're doing whatever you can to um, contribute to those retirement accounts, to put that money to work by investing, which I know you talk about every day, but um, we still have a, a bit of a confidence gap when it comes to women and investing. Women keep way too much of our money in cash when we should be putting it to work in the markets. And even a, a study that just came out I, I believe it was last week, but it may have been the week before um, from Anna Maria Lusardi at um, at uh, I think it's GW these days um, looked at women and how our lack of financial confidence holds us back from investing. She she gave women. The, uh, a look at, at two different financial literacy tests. And one of those financial literacy tests offered the words, I do not know, or don't know as an option to answer the question. And the other did not. And when it was the option, women chose it. And when it was not the option, women got the answer right. So, you know, that's a pretty good barometer that it's confidence. It's not, it's not real knowledge that's holding us, that's holding us back. We have to get ourselves to the point where we invest consistently on a regular basis. And much of the work that we do at Her Money is educating women um, with our content, with our newsletters, with our podcast on how do you make those decisions? How do you make them in a way where they don't monopolize your whole life? How, how do you find an, a financial advisor to help you get on the right track to make a plan that can um, set you up for financial success? The other um, very important consideration is that one to take a step back from work. Um, and Often, I think one parent in the family wants to stay home um, and can afford to do that while the family continues to prosper. And I'm all for that. But if it's a financial decision that you're making, if it's if it if you're looking at the money that you're spending either on child care or on elder care and you start to think, well, gosh, I'm spending as much on childcare as I'm earning, it certainly doesn't make sense to be out in the workforce. You need to think again 
because we don't just lose wages when we take a step back from work. We we lose um, social security credits. We lose money that we're putting into retirement accounts. We lose um, seniority. We lose access to our networks. It, it's a huge um, cost to pay. And so if you're if you're just leveling the playing field as far as the, the money is concerned, the paycheck versus the cost of care, um, it, take another look at that decision before you take a step back. After the break, Jean talks about the number one financial fear that women face. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Full Money. I'm Chris Hill. Let's get back to my colleague Megan Brinsfield and her conversation with best-selling author and financial expert Jean Chatsky. So, one of the big topics in planning for women is uh, around longevity, and I know you mentioned before that there's kind of burning the candle at both ends. You know, having fewer resources and needing to make those resources last longer. Um, when women are planning for longevity, and uh, in general. Um, women tend to live five years longer than men. So in heterosexual relationships, at least, um, women are outliving their partners in a large majority of those cases. Um, that combined with relying on a spouse during their lives to sort of take the lead on finances can really leave women um, surprised and holding the bag, to be quite honest, when they find themselves widowed. Um, what resources, either through AARP or other um, organizations that you're affiliated with, have you found to be helpful in those situations? Um, well, first of all, I, I think it's really important to try to get educated before you're in that situation. Um, we, we should not be surprised by these things. I mean, yes, people are surprised and they lose a spouse young and it, it, it comes out of nowhere and that happens. But the reality is that the vast majority of us are going to be, and by us, I mean women, are going to be alone and need to manage our money personally and by ourselves at some point in our lives. And you're so much better off learning how to do this when you are not grieving or not under tremendous pressure. So if you are in a relationship where you are not involved in managing the money, you just got to get in there. Um, and, and today, tomorrow, but not next year, not next month. It's sooner rather than later. This is just something that, that has to happen. And it's an evolution. It's not like you have to get your feet in there and do everything from job one, but you need to know where the money is. You need to know how much there is. You need to know who the important people are and you need to know how to, how to move things around and how to make choices. And, um, I, you know, hopefully you have a spouse that says, yes, you're right. I don't know why we didn't do this a long time ago. Um, so, so that said, 
Um, there are a lot of resources. I mean, first I would point people to her money. We publish content every single day. We publish a new podcast every week. We're a top 1% podcast. And, um, and we have these kind of conversations about all aspects of your financial life where money is concerned. Um, and, and so it's not just investing it's careers. It's, protecting yourself and your life. It's raising money, smart children. It's all over the map. Um, the, the second resource that I would point people to, um, if you are on your own, unexpectedly feeling like you need the help of a financial advisor. And particularly if you need the help of a financial advisor and you're thinking, I just can't afford this. Um, there's an organization called savvy ladies that you can reach out to, um, that, that will offer pro bono financial planning services and, and they're a wonderful, wonderful resource. Um, and there's so many more, we've got tons of great resources up at, at AARP, um, for women in particular, I think because of this longevity question, and, and you know, this, cause you've lived in the same world that I have for so many years, we focus so much on accumulation of assets, we save and save and invest and invest. And the, the decumulation phase, the how do I make my money last as long as I last is as important a part of the equation and we don't pay nearly enough attention to it. And so I would say if you're not sure how you are going to make your money last, that's when you go see a financial advisor. And that that's when you talk about things like what is going to be coming in, in addition to social security in the form of protected income that I can count on for the rest of my life. Is there a pension? Is there a strategy for making the money in the retirement accounts last? Is there a reason that I should be looking into converting some of that um, money in the retirement accounts into a paycheck using annuities or using other tools that I can do to do that so that I don't have to worry about the fear of running out of money before I run out of time, because I, I know, and I'm sure, you know, that is the number one fear on the minds of women. One thing that I, I think gets often overlooked in discussions about, um, just progress for women financially is the help that we need from our male counterparts to make that progress. So, um, in the example of, you know, my spouse handles all of the finances or I'm just not interested. I, I have a lot of coworkers that are in that position. I always go, you know, where's your wife? You know, when we're talking about finances and they go, Oh, she's not interested. And, um, kind of pushing them on that and go like, well, just ask them to come to the meeting or that, you know, they don't have to say anything, kind of create a low, you know, barrier to entry. But what are some of the ways that you've seen, you know, people step up and kind of partner to bring women into the fold on these conversations? I think emotional, um, I, I think an emotional plea is the best plea. I mean, what you're really saying is if something were to happen to me and statistically, you know, as a guy, something is going to happen to me before it happens to you. I don't want you to be lost. I don't want you to feel like you don't know what to do next. Um, this is, you know, we've, we've spent a long time building this family, building this life. 
you need to understand this so that you can carry on. Um, just like I would need to understand it without you. And there are things about what you do that I don't understand. And maybe you can help me with those. Um, but this is not, you know, I'm not asking you to take over. I'm just asking you to be my partner in this as you're my partner in the rest of our life. Absolutely. And I appreciate that so much when I see, uh, our fellow, our male counterparts taking those actions, um, and starting those conversations as well. Um, I'd love to talk about your, your podcast. It's, it's been around for a minute and I know I've enjoyed it for a long time over the years. Have there been any, uh, surprises that you've found in uh, either guests that you've had on the show or content that you've covered, um, that you might like to highlight here for our viewers? Boy, there've been so many wonderful guests. I mean, I've just been so fortunate to talk to amazing, amazing people. Um, one of my recent favorites was an episode with a doctor named Romy Mushtaq, um, who specializes, she's a neurologist and she specializes in helping us calm down our busy brains. Um, and I think during this pandemic, her techniques have been so helpful because we're stressed, right? Even if, even if financially we're doing okay, we are just, um, we're, we're suffering from pandemic fatigue. And so I would, I would say she, she offered up a couple of meditations and things that, that were really, really helpful to me. Um, you mentioned on the subject of sort of the unlevel playing field, uh, that many of us have with our spouses, particularly when it comes to housework and, and caregiving, Eve Rodsky was a guest. Um, she wrote the book Fair Play, and she's she was terrific on how do you how do you square that? How do you really um, take what's going on in your household and and rejigger it so that it does work um, for everybody? Um, let me think. Karen Feinerman was on recently talking about she she's on CNC NBC's fast money. A lot of, a lot of people will know her from there. Um, we were talking about the volatility in the markets, uh, and Bitcoin and SPACs and GameStop and, and what has happened to make, um, to make the market so volatile and, and so odd during, during this pandemic. And, and she was a terrific guest. Um, I mean, I could go on and on. We've done almost 300 podcasts. Um, we've been around for, for five years. People I know dig back into our archives and start at the beginning, which is, which is terrific. I think the very first one we did was Gretchen Rubin on, on happiness and money. And it's still an episode that is well worth listening to. You can find the Her Money podcast, the same place you find Motley Fool Money, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you find podcasts. That's going to do it for this week's show. It's mixed by Dan Boyd. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Hey.